Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hamam shibai, hamam shibai, hamam shibai. That work? What is it? Oh no, Shakti day. Okay. Oh, wait, how's it go? Hamam shibai, hamam shibai. Shakti day. Something. What is it? What does he say? Oh, yeah. You betrayed Shiba. Tum Shiba K. You've the whatever. Hey, see now we don't have Tommy to do the special trailer. Oh. Catch that fish yet? Hmm? Good book. Oh, yeah, yeah, he did. It's a happy ending. Not exactly. The old man met his greatest adversary just when he thought that part of his life was over. Why didn't he just let the fish go? Old man's gotta be the old man, fish has gotta be the fish. Gotta be who you are in this world, right? No matter what. Yo, Pop, bet you didn't have to push no dollies at your old job, did you? Guilty as charged. Can you do a refund for me when you're done? Open the register up right now. Move. Give me that ring. No, it was my mother. Please. It's okay, Jenny. What's she doing about? It is about a guy who's a knight in shining armor, except he lives in a world where knights don't exist anymore. My ring. Thing you want to be.
change your world. I promised I would never go back to being that person. But when somebody does something unspeakable to someone you hardly knew, you do something about it, because you can. I'm here about a girl. <laughs> 16 seconds. Welcome, everybody. It's the next real special edition film board, uh, 80s TV throwback edition. We're doing the equalizer, except this time with Denzel, and he's an American, and he doesn't have a Jaguar. This is a remake of clearly the not well enough known show, <laughs> The Equalizer. Uh, and uh, with Denzel, uh, it's an Antoine Fuqua show, and it just came out on Friday, and we're talking about it. Although it's a little bit of a small uh, film board here this week, we've got a whole bunch of missing people that we miss really, really a lot. The planets have aligned uh, so that we are here, and by we I mean uh, the wonderful uh, and talented Steve Sarmento. Good evening, everyone. And Andy Nelson. Hello again. I, I I didn't know what uh, what descriptive word for aged I should use <laughs> to introduce you, so wow. I just bailed. Wow, thanks, Andy. If you if you have any trouble, if you pull anything on the show, just let us know. Don't worry, I've got my cane. <laughs> uh, Andy is a victim of uh, is it eight year old birthday party? <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's a eight year old birthday party itis. Uh, it was like a 21-hour extravaganza. <laughs> you, <laughs> you Arizonans, you do it up when, That's right. when birthdays come along. <laughs> uh, okay, back to this film. So the movie comes out. It, it comes out on. It came out on Friday, and uh, my assumption here is that we have all seen it. Uh, and uh, now we're talking about it. What do you think, uh, Steve? How did uh, How did Denzel do? Well, I have to say that. This is the first movie I've seen in a very, very long time where I I had not seen any trailers. I've been sort of on my trailer blackout uh, since, I think, early spring, middle of summer. So I hadn't seen any trailers, hadn't seen any promotional things, so I had no idea what I was walking into. I mean, I, it's, it's Denzel, so I have a certain expectation. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Really? Yes. Well, I'm impressed to hear that. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm ready to, to take you guys on because I had a feeling <laughs> that I was going to walk into this one, you know, a man alone taking on, you know, large this, corporate entity. This is a little meta. You're, you are the equalizer, I think, of the show, possibly. We shall see. Andy, uh, is it, do is you an need equalizer? To be... if, there's a, if there's three, can you have equal? I, I... <laughs> That's a good point. Andy, do you need to be equalized? Apparently I do cuz I I I thought it had many shortcomings and I felt them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Uh I uh, just in brief, I think I'm probably in between you guys. I thought that it had shortcomings, but I I had this feeling that if I hadn't seen the film alone, I would have enjoyed it more and not felt them quite as much. I this is a movie that needs uh where I just needed a movie buddy with me to to just go oh or ooh or ow and and then I might have seen past some of those things as it was I was alone and so it just sort of stuck out and I left the the theater feeling like I didn't I wasn't going to remember much about it uh, so uh, let's uh, let's start with this shall we start with the yays or the nays who's feeling more adventurous uh, I'll start all right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I won't say I didn't have fun. I mean, there are elements to the story that are enjoyable. Denzel Washington is usually enjoyable, even in some of his uh, his films that aren't nearly as good. Um, and, and this, to me, was a case where I really enjoyed Denzel. I enjoyed his character. Um, I, I think that what, the biggest problem that I had with the story is I felt like they had this kind of basic story of this former whoever he was, CIA, who wanted to, you know, start helping this girl and others. 
And, you know, that's fine. It's nice to kind of see that little story. But then you also have this whole, these subplots of him helping his coworkers out. And the the thing that really that I struggled with the most is the 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 way the script flowed. There, it just did not work. Uh, there was no sense of uh, balance between the subplots and the overall story. And, I mean, they had to end these subplots. I'm talking specifically about the one where uh, he's training this coworker to uh, become a security guard, this kind of overweight coworker who really wants to be a security guard and he's trying to help him out. And, uh, I mean, having a subplot, it just needs to feel like there's balance in the story. Like you have a little of the subplot and then you have the story and it kind of builds this subplot like ends halfway through the movie as this guy becomes the security guard and it needs to for the story. But because of that, I felt like it was just so tedious watching this movie. Like it kept putting on its brakes every time it switched from the main story to the subplot because the subplot was given so much time in the first half of the film. So I just was so just not interested in the vast majority of the story because I felt like like I was just getting way too much subplot and not nearly enough of the substantial story. And yes, it all ties together in the end, but you know, in a way that I just wasn't interested in anymore because there was just for me too much time spent on all the subplots. I, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I don't know, you know, to me it felt like endemic of a of a TV series to film adaptation that didn't go well. This this really screamed uh, to me of being a TV series. Like all these subplots would have been great. Nineteen eighties, forty eight minutes long uh, vignettes of Denzel helping, uh, you know, helping these people kind of achieve their dreams and fight crime. As it was, it just felt like way too many, uh, way too many subplots that were shoehorned together. And you say they tie up at the end. I would say that is uh, giving it maybe a little bit too much credit. Well, uh, but you know they tie up, but they tie up so sloppily. Like uh, there is this sort of needless, like uh, uh, the security guard thing. Like it, that could have been anyone. Like we didn't need it to be that security guard who is who has learned not to eat chips on his sandwiches. Like we didn't need those little vignettes, and we could have, I think, had the benefit of of much more uh, in terms of the the primary uh, dramatic arc of the film. Yeah, but then, but then you wouldn't get that fantastic setup payoff of him trying to tug a, a tire and he can't, and Denzel says, "Hey, come on! What if that was me? What if you were had to tow me out of here? You couldn't do that." And then, of course, you get the payoff, which is like, "Oh, of course we're going to have the payoff for that," because you know, I mean, it's just like it's just like it's it's standard rule book <laughs> screenwriting is what it is. It's like you know, of course, and yes, it was a funny joke where he's like 190 my ass or whatever he said. Yeah. I mean, that that was yeah. pretty funny, but it's just it was so basic and I, you know i i don't know if i should fault a film for 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 being basic kind of level screenwriting but it, you know i don't know it just the way that the pacing worked it just really fell short all right steve okay <laughs> so all i knew about this was the director and Looking back at his filmography, I, I think it's fairly uneven. So I thought, okay, I think the strength of the film is going to come from from the script. So I, I look at what what uh, Richard Wink has has done, and there was nothing that overly impressed me. So I walked in this film thinking, well, it's going to be 50-50. It, I'm not expecting anything stellar, maybe something in the middle. I'm really hoping this isn't a horrible train wreck of a film. So I had really sort of no expectations going in and since I hadn't seen any of the trailers didn't really know what was coming as far as story I knew the basics even though I've never seen the TV show The Equalizer I got the basic setup of that and to me I, I understand where you guys are coming from because I had that same feeling about halfway through the film of you know it seems like we're spending a lot of time with this character and these as you call them subplots you know what what purpose are they serving because we've got you know, the, the big bad has already come into town and, and that story's slowly being teased along. They're trying to hunt him down, but things don't really seem to be moving. So I thought, okay, what what is the purpose of these things? What are we supposed to be getting out of this? And as I stepped back and thought about everything that was going on, his interactions with these characters, with the young prostitute, with the guy that wants to be a security guard and the conversations that he had with him, 
all the pieces started to come into place as far as what this movie is really about. Oh, okay. Something much you're larger. Gonna, you're going to drop it on us. <laughs> this is it. You're just going to drop the mic. <laughs> Boom. So this is what I see the film as. And it comes down to things that I saw repeatedly throughout the film. So early on, we've got scenes where he's in the diner with the young girl and, you know, he talks to her about, you know, she's eating whatever pie or donuts and, you know, hey, you got to give up, all, you know, that refined sugar. It's bad for your voice. She's like, yeah, yeah, I will. I'm going to get around to it one day. So he's, you know, obviously they've got some history, but she's trying to do something to better her life. And they have a conversation about that, about how she wants to have this singing career, but, you know, her life isn't what she wishes it should wishes it would be. And he said, well, you've got to just, you've got to change your life. You've got to change the world or something along those lines. He has a similar conversation with a uh, security guard reference the sandwich scene you know is grilling him about what's in the sandwich and then he takes the bite and it's the potato chips and he says to him hey you know you asked me to help you you know if you want me to help you fine if not then you know that's it's your choice but you asked me to help you so if you want my help these are the things that you need to do so there's two people here that have he's sort of come to them with you know they've requested his assistance he's willing to grant it given certain conditions later on in the film he has a sit-down in the Russian restaurant with Nikolai. And this is when things are about to escalate. And he talks about all the, the men that he's killed sort of in this, you know, conflict as it's built up. And he points out, you know, I gave every single one of them a choice. He gave everybody the ability to opt out, to walk away from what was going to happen. I thought it's an interesting attribute for this character. You know, why walk into a room with, like, eight guys, you know, with knives and guns and basically say, you know, I'm going to give you a choice. You can, you can leave, you know, uh, I thought what, what's going on with this character. So the big picture is this is a much larger, I don't want to say allegory, but uh, I'd be interested to see what, what you guys think. Uh, given, I think, the films that I've seen Denzel in and some of his own personal background and beliefs, there's a much larger, I think, Christian allegory going on with his character, which has to do with people and free will and consequences of choices and his role in this film as sort of this vengeful character eradicating sin from the world. So you've got people that have, he said, you know, you can you can make this choice. So those that do abide by the terms of the agreement, they give up the potato chips, whatever, they are successful. Those that he gives the option to, to walk away from the situation and don't face the consequences of their actions. And it was further reinforced when we get to the very end where he says at one point, I'm here to cut the head off the snake, which again is very biblical source of original sin and evil. So I see it as a much larger story given that these subplots have to do with people and their... I don't want to say religious conversion, but coming to accept terms of a certain agreement that allow them to have the life that they want to have, but by making personal sacrifices. The security guard's got to give up, you know, his, his poor eating habits so that he can become the security guard that he wants to be. And for Terry, she's got to, you know, give up certain things. She tries to do that, ends up getting beat up, put in the hospital, but we see her again at the end of the film now being able to have that new fresh start and as the film comes to a conclusion, we see that he's now taken on this role of this force for people to get a fresh start, to walk away from the bad choices that they've made and get a new start. And to me, that's really what the film is about. If you look at it just as a straight, typical action film, you know, like, like Denzel and Man on Fire, you know, you, you may just feel like this is a forgettable film, but I think those deeper themes bring an extra dimension to the film that I found personally very... Uh, fulfilling and they have him work at at a home depot type store where he may as well be a carpenter he's a carpenter exactly. i was just gonna say that <laughs> oh. oh sorry pete no man you took it so i okay so i can see that like he's he is he does sort of represent the hand of uh this uh, you know he's he's the the he's gabriel dismiss yeah, dispensing the, of the, the righteous you know exactly. righteousness you've got, upon his you've got nikolai 
and it was a very odd scene with Nikolai where he, the first time we see him sort of with all his tattoos exposed, yeah, right. you've got satanic figures and he's laying, leaning back in his chair and the way the camera moves around, it was, a, I mean, it was a very obvious, you know, transition, the slow fade as he's laying stretched out in his chair and the camera tilts so that he's now inverted and as the city fades in, he's now this ominous figure sort of like hovering over the city, the, the angel of death hovering over the city looking for, you know, the equalizer. So it's, you know, maybe a little too heavy-handed at that point. I thought, okay, that's a little bit much to say he's, you know, this. But then I thought if you're looking at him as just Nikolai, but if you look at it as a, you know, good versus evil, much larger scale, you could say, yeah, this, you know, dark angel of death has come to the city of Boston, and now it, it's got to be cleaned up. I mean, it, look at all the corruption, the cops and everything. You've always got, you know, why does, why does you know, the equalizer, what's his name, Bob? Robert, you know, what, are the, what does he try to do? He's, he's really angry at, what, these cops, the, the, the corrupt cops who, who made a pledge to protect the citizens and have now, you know, extorting money from them or they're, they're working for the Russian mafia. Those are the people that he's the most angry with, that they have betrayed that sacred trust that people have as authority figures. Yeah, I can, I can, uh, I can grant you that, and I got the same sort of sense from it. You know, as I'm, uh, as I'm watching it, the same sort of feeling, uh, the emotional response that I get from, you know, watching Batman. You know, it's this, this sense of this is the the vengeance demon. You know, this is coming to exact revenge, and and there's a certain sort of dark satisfaction that you get when you see, particularly, uh, corrupt authorities uh, being, you know, given the business. Um, and and I think there is something too that that at no point do we see, uh, you know, McCall uh, armor up. You know, he's using the tools of his trade. He uses a hammer. He uses, like, you know, we, we see him, you know, blow some things up in a pretty serious fashion, but we don't see the setup of those explosions. We don't know how he did it. Uh, we just know he used some secret skills, but he's always wearing his button downs. He's always, he maintains <laughs> that sort of, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is yeah. a dude who brings back the man of the people vibe uh, to the Batman legend or to the, the, the vengeance angel uh, uh you know lore um and and i think there is there is something to that the the question for me is in all of this stuff does it does it deliver a film um that um that is is a satisfying cinematic experience and and um you know to me there were some elements or there were some moments in here that i thought were really really nice um and and Ultimately, uh, but ultimately, it, it, um, it it's almost like it didn't quite make good on the promises of depth that we're that we're digging into, because I think some of the architecture issues that Andy pointed out, I I found that I I tripped over as well. What do you think, Andy? I I, I completely agree. I mean, I I I saw those elements that you were talking about, Steve, and I thought it was mm -hmm. an interesting. It definitely in a film like this, uh, just kind of a you know a typical Denzel Washington action thriller, or what would normally be, uh, that they were putting in some elements of this allegory of good versus evil, of kind of this you know this interesting savior figure who would come in and and equalize things, um, but. I, I, but on the whole, it just felt like, it, I mean, for me, it boiled down to the story. It's it's not that those elements weren't interesting. I did find them interesting, and thank God they were there because it, it gave me at least a little more uh, to grasp onto. Uh, the problem was that the story itself was just, uh, just I mean, everything about it was just, you know, was basic and just just not very well architected. Uh, you know, I, I already talked about the subplots, and then you just have, like, the, the simple things of, you know, every book that he's reading is so exactly <laughs> well, where yes, he is. I, I mean, just, yeah. that, was, that was a little the, much. The, the, the books were, I, I agree, the books, <laughs> that was a little, <laughs> little much. But I Hit guess... The head. Of, One more time. <laughs> yeah. I guess in terms of the subplots, it was, to me, it was sort of the path that he was going on to get to the point that he needed to be at the end of the film. So, you know, we see that he's got this, you know, we spend a lot of time at the beginning, set up his daily routine. He goes to work, you know, even the guys that he worked with, they don't know anything about his past. You know, he makes a joke about he was one of the pips, you know, and dances around for him. And he goes to the diner every night and he's a regular. We've got this set of very established routine, you know, so he, when he does decide to sort of help this young girl who's being beat up, um, 
you know, it, it's a big, big step for him. And then we see, you know, he helps the security guard, not only with that test, but when, you know, it comes to his big test, he's not there. He has to quit his job because he's got to help his mom at her restaurant who, you know, there's been an accident, you know, quotation mark accident, and finds out that there's some corrupt cops that are extorting money from her. So it's trying to set those things right. And it's like he took that first step, and so now it's it's more. And then we get the the robbery at the at the at the store. And the thing that I loved about that scene was it reminded me a lot of uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier when they talk about oh we've got to go get those the you know Falcon's wings, and he's like oh it's behind all these guards and this and that. Like yeah no problem. We don't see it, and you know they get him. Same thing here. The guy you know robs the place, takes the woman's ring. We see that uh, you know Robert sees the guy's license plate, walks in the store, you know, takes his sledgehammer off the rack. And then, you know, the next scene, he's like, the ring is magically back in the cash register and he's wiping down the sledgehammer and putting it back in. We didn't need to see any of that because we've already established, you know, he's going to go take care of these things. And then we get the interesting scene where he's visiting with his friends. And uh, we find out a little bit more about his past and they have that conversation about him having to become the man that he used to be. And, you know, this you know, former CIA agent. And the line that I found very interesting was that uh, when he's leaving there, after he's found out a little bit more about who he's really involved with, you know, the stakes that are going to be, you know, played out in this this final showdown, is that um, Melissa Leo's character, uh, her husband, played by Bill Pullman, says, you know, were you able to, to help him? And she said he didn't come here for help. He came to ask for permission, that he had, uh, he had sort of already set himself on a, a course that he, he was not going to deviate from uh, because of, I think, just building, you know, his involvement in each of these cases over time through each of these subplots, ultimately to the, the bigger case. And then, as we see in the big end of the film, that he's now, you know, taken that on as his role. And it goes back to the initial quote at the beginning of the film from Mark Twain about, you know, the two most important days in your life are the, the, the day that you were born and the day that you found out, figure out why you were born. And to me, that's what this film was really about. It was him coming to grips with who he really needs to be. He'd been, at the beginning of the film, he's sort of denying who he is, what his true nature is. And by the end of the film, he's accepted that. And we see that that's now the role that he's going to play in that city is he's going to be true to who he is, which is the equalizer of, of standing up for the little people that, that are willing to ask for help. And those subplots, I think, were crucial components of his character developing that and coming back to that and embracing that side of himself. Okay. I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I do. I, I really do. And I'm still having a hard time. Like, as I think back through the film, I think, gosh, I, I get it. I see, I see the symbols and I see the subplots and I see how they drive toward, uh, toward this larger arc. But then I think back to that opening quote. I think back to him talking about the old man of the sea, you know, the other books that he's dealing with and, and the way his lessons wear the metaphor so much on their sleeves that I, I just can't help, uh, but but, you know, do the old facepalm, like, time after time in this film, thinking this is just like, there, as Andy said, there is, a, there is a sense of obviousness to the delivery of the architecture of the film that I, I feel like they, they didn't let me work enough, right? Yeah. And so I found myself, like, I, I, yeah, I, I found myself getting distracted sitting alone mm -hmm. in the movie theater. Staring at a oh. giant screen, I was distracted <laughs> by other stuff. Oh, until until all the gadgets come out at Home Depot or whatever the store you, well, is, yeah, where he's got they, all strapped. But, you know, they I, have I, wonderful. I, they they do have yeah. some. There are some wonderful yeah. visual moments, and the violence right. that comes out yeah. is a little oh, bit yeah. jarring because yeah. of the the yeah. pacing and the number yeah. of montage, like small montage moments that we get, sequences that we get of Denzel thinking. Oh my goodness! <laughs> there's this is like a movie. It's forty minutes of Denzel <laughs> thinking and making breakfast and doing the thing with the tea bag. <laughs> that timing I, himself every time. Timing himself every time I'm thinking, I got it. I got it. The dude's meticulous. Like, I am a big proponent of patience in film. I talk about it all the time. This is like I'm a drinking game about this, but this is a bridge too far on the patience in film with the Denzel montages. I just, I was, I was done. And then they would splash up with these, these wonderful uh, action sequences, these violent sequences. The first one where he takes down all the, the Russian pimps uh, or the Russian uh, gangsters is, I, I thought, ele elegantly done. And I, I, 
I had my I found myself thinking this was great the first time I saw it in Sherlock Holmes, uh, but I still liked it. I, I still I still found myself energized again. It sort of got me to the next over the next hump. I like that they made it rain in the Home Depot. I thought that was like, <laughs> that was kind of pretty. You know, I thought yeah. they did a nice yeah. thing with the nail gun. That was that was very elegant. Uh, but I still found myself face palming during some of the moments of of purported depth. Yeah. Okay. And I, I mean, I, I agree. I'm, I mean, f- this is far from a, a great film. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, better than I thought. Maybe it's because I had no expectations, but it's something that, you know, I agree down, the, you know, looking back at the end of the year, is this going to rank among my top films from the year? Probably not. And is it going to be, I, I don't know that it'll be a forgettable film, but I know that, you know, when I'm looking for sort of an action film, Denzel style, this one is probably not going to be one of the top ones that comes to mind. You know, it, I, I, I agree. I just think that it, it did some interesting things that it told, to me, it told a broader, deeper story than you often get in a typical run of the mill action film that you, you know, what is it what what does it bring new to the genre not a whole lot to me it brought a little bit broader story and character uh as opposed to a lot of other things where it's just okay here's a guy he's gonna go and he's gonna go kill everybody i appreciated that you know there was a a lot of sort of manipulation back and forth and you know you have two characters that are just sort of eerie in their um isolation uh from sort of the world around them that they don't really get tied into things i mean very emotionless you know denzel's very meticulous or robert he's he's meticulous and we see a lot of that in his routine and then you've got nikolai who's just you know i don't want to say just heartless brutal vicious but they're both very cold characters and so it's it was an interesting dynamic to see that uh i I appreciated that uh you know the final showdown uh getting into spoiler territory i felt like uh, is this gonna be like a lethal weapon where these guys you know go toe to toe and just you know pummel the snot out of each other for 15 minutes and then just when you think you know the hero's you know done he's gonna come back and then you know gonna defeat the bad guy oh but he's not really and it did something a little bit different it was really more abrupt than i thought uh we did have you know one scene where he takes one of the henchmen and it's sort of hand to hand on the floor with broken shards of glass and mirrors uh but you know taking you know the confrontation between robert and nikolai was maybe a little anticlimactic because it 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 was pretty short of a of a showdown but i felt like you'd built this villain up so much uh you've you can't drag this out for too long. It, then it becomes like, you know, uh, Man of Steel with uh, yeah. Zod and, uh, and, you know, Superman. The 45 going, you know, minutes. 45 pummeling. minutes of yeah. destruction. I thought, okay, we, we, we'd had plenty of bloodshed already. Uh, get it over with quickly because if Robert is a smart and intelligent man, he knows you don't mess around with with this guy yeah. you take him out as fast as you can and you know i guess that's a that's a fair point but i couldn't help thinking to your point about that you know the there was the big henchman fight scene with yeah. the mirrors and the glass i yeah. couldn't help but thinking when i saw the final scene that they had they had done it wrong they done yeah. it with the wrong people like i yeah. we, they built up uh nikolai as the baddest of the bad dudes yeah and we, the uh and i just it, it was it had happened so fast there was there was no um you know, there was no sense that the vengeance was deserved. And of course okay. it was, because we have the benefit of seeing the last hour and a half of, of you know, what this guy is capable of doing. But, you know, after their wonderful sequence, or their wonderful scene in the restaurant, which I thought was, was a nice conversation. I was uh, built yeah. up some intensity there. I found myself really a little bit distracted by the, or, or disappointed in uh, that, that we didn't earn kind of the, the showdown that I think we deserved. Yeah, and 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 that whole element, like watching that last fight. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Steve, about that last fight, the way they they built all the different elements of it. Um, but I agree with Pete. It's like I, I felt like uh, the one guy who he ends up having the really long fight with. I felt like they they were just rolling dice as to say, okay, this one's going to be a short one. This will be a long one. You know, it's just like, there was no logical reason why that's the guy all of a sudden who had like the long, like with the tough guy. And, and it just, it felt like it, it was, it 
seemed to take a little bit of the steam out of the last fight. And that whole last bit also, all I could think about was like Last House on the left, you know, it's like, or Straw Dogs or any of those movies where it's like, this is my turf, I'm going to booby trap it like a like a madman in you know the five minutes that I actually have or home to, alone to do so yeah or any of those movies <laughs> you know just like booby trap the place uh, so I can catch all these guys completely unexpected uh, so the audience can see you know fresh crazy kills every time and that's what the whole ending was like for me it's like of course he's gonna make a, a rope new or a, a barbed wire noose and hang it from the ceiling so he can get this guy right when he steps into the sand that he spills on the ground of course he's got time to plan all that and wire all the doors shut and do all this other stuff i'm like oh it's you know that just felt it, it felt so uh, it's like the screen. I could see the screenwriters sitting in a room together, going, "Okay, well, we got to come up with something that people haven't seen before." Uh, oh, I know. Let's do this. And it's like that's exactly how that whole ending played out. Even the final showdown with uh, with the killer. It's just like all of it felt very, very kind of uh, expected. Even the big final uh, gunning down of the real head of the the mafia crime or the Russian mob crime scene back in Moscow when he turns up in the guy's uh, bathroom. <laughs> it was all like, of course he's going to be there because it's the equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's true. You know, the one thing I, ke- I kept coming back to was, and, and I, I have sort of mixed feelings about this film, but I, I couldn't help comparing it to, you know, the last Antoine Fuqua, uh, Denzel Washington film, Training Day, which, it, you know, I... I was I think like a lot of people a little bit puzzled by by the resolution of of that film in particular, but I thought uh, in general it stands up much 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 better uh, to than this film. What do you what's your sense? Do you guys have any memory of Training Day and and uh, how Fuqua handled uh, some of these similar elements? I remember liking Training Day quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I I don't think it was one that that overly stuck with me, but I really enjoyed the character dynamics between Denzel and Ethan Hawke's characters. Yeah. They were very they really played off of each other in a uh, kind of a uh I don't know, just a, a fun way considering they're both cops and and just seeing how how evil and manipulative Denzel's character was and and how that whole thing turned around on him at the end. I mean, I I remember enjoying it. I don't remember the specifics of the film that much, but I do remember I liked the the film and the relationship there. Yeah, I I mean, that's, you know, when I come back to, you know, thinking about, you know, the the, same thing of I've only seen Training Day once. I remember bits and pieces of it. Um, but I remember enjoying it thoroughly, and I think that's sort of what I'm walking away with this one. And as, as I was looking back to see what else I'd seen, since I said sort of it seems like this director is, is very hit or miss, um, he did one of the White House films, you know, Olympus, yeah, Olympus has, fallen, has Fallen, which actually I saw Olympus Has Fallen first before seeing White House Down. And I actually enjoyed Olympus Has Fallen more than White House Down. And maybe that's because I saw it first. And so the second one seemed derivative of like, oh, we're they're doing the same thing as this other one. But it was one that I had thoroughly in, enjoyed uh, that one. And I think it's, I think that's probably where I, you know, with Training Day, with Olympus Has Fallen, with this, uh, always going to be a case of like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I may or may probably won't come back to the film, but I, I enjoyed it while I, I watched it. Yeah, I th- I think that's probably true. I think though that sets up my uh, a little bit more of my disappointment uh, in this film because I feel like I was set up as uh, set up by having even those two films that I you know solid action films that I really enjoyed seeing, uh, and this one just sort of let me down, uh, and and it just dominated this weekend, right? I mean, it had a really strong opening weekend, and and so obviously that shows the the um, the pull of the names, I guess, more than anything else. Yeah, it was the fourth highest September debut ever. It came in at an estimated $35 million this weekend. Wow. Yeah, right. Uh, let's talk about some other folks in it. Uh, what do you think about uh, Chloe? Uh, it's it's like the path that she's ended up going down, really. I mean, the, I, I, I expect her in roles like this now, which I, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing to say, but that's where I see her like, yeah, she's kind of come up in this kind of, role of these dark shady women it's like I, i'm not surprised to see her as a prostitute now and i don't know i, I don't think that is 
I don't think any actress should want to hear that about their careers, but that's where I see her now. It's like, of course she's going to end up playing the prostitute. Yeah. I don't know. Steve, did she uh, did she add to any of your allegorical uh, delusions? delusions? <laughs> no, and it was, it was a case of, you know, really, you know, that role, you know, what did it need? Uh, did she bring anything to it? No, I, you know, I, I think you could have cast, you know, anyone of a of a certain age, and they would have been able to do that. Because I mean, it's minimal amount of screen time. She's there at the beginning, disappears for the the bulk of the film, and then shows up at the end. Uh, no, I've seen better work from her. Looking forward to you know some of her future projects. This one, eh, nothing nothing spectacular from her in this though. All right, then how about Martin Sokas? Well, he's he's you know he he does what he does. That's what he. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's who else would you cast for this? He seems like that's what he does. Yeah, he fit the bill. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I, I he was. Uh, gosh, he's he's turned up in a lot of things lately. We talked about him in uh, uh, the the. Um, um, gosh, what was it? Wasn't he in uh, the supremacy? Uh, no, it was. Gosh, well, he was in that. I think, Okay, well, I'm thinking of the. Uh, now maybe I'm thinking of the wrong guy. I was thinking that he was in. Um, see, that's he's got one of those faces yeah. that I think is yeah, in things, and then he's not. I was thinking yeah. he was in the uh, David Fincher dragon tattoo as no. her boss. No, no, I don't know who that is now. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh. Well, he has been in a ton of stuff, and he was, uh, yeah. he was I think, appropriately diabolical, and I yeah. think he represented uh, the, uh, again, evil, wearing evil on its sleeve, uh, exactly uh, to the tone of the rest of the things worn yeah. on sleeves in this movie. I was thinking Goran Viznijic. Oh, yeah, we've talked about him, for sure. Yes, that's who I was thinking of. <laughs> I mix those two up. They're <laughs> all <names>. the time. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, all right. So there he goes. That's the that was the bad guy. Um, nothing particularly exciting to say. I I think probably the performance I was most enthusiastic about at, as a result of this film, Bill Pullman. It was nice seeing him again. I mean, right? I wasn't <laughs> expecting him or Melissa Leo in a bad wig, yeah. and I thought they they both were fine. <laughs> And the wig turned its own performance. <laughs> oh, we're talking about. So uh, it's like she went to the the wig the wig uh, trailer and said, "I need a I need a grade school librarian wig." <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I do have to say that was an interesting twist. Uh, I, I don't know if you call it a twist, but the fact that he's going to go look for go go for help and you expect, oh, it's Bill Pullman. It's a guy that he worked with before. And it's like, no, Bill Pullman just happens to be the husband of this yeah. powerful, you know, intelligence agent. So that was a nice, you know, shift on that, that, you know, instead of just her being the dutiful housewife, you know, for her husband, it's, it's the other way around. And, you know, Bill Pullman's sort of the, I'm just the husband. I, you know, I'll have drinks with you. I don't really know what's going on. Uh, and I, role that bill pullman can play very well i guess yeah i guess so did that feel i mean it really felt kind of earned the gender swap i mean it didn't bug me I it, didn't, it just it didn't bug me it didn't bug me and this is gonna make me sound terrible it just seems sort of obvious <laughs> right it feels yeah. like oh god that's that's just sort of sort of where we are now what you know i and i love it i think that's great yeah it just felt like they did it because they felt like they had to do it. Had to. You needed a... Why did we need the husband? Let's just make it the the powerful former yeah. CIA boss and just make her a woman. Why did we need the the husband in there at all? He to was show just that, to there show to, that to provide she can be a powerful woman that can have a balance in life. Because then you get into that whole thing, the 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 whole thing that's going on about women. If if they're uh, you know, if they're powerful, then they're portrayed as, you know, a certain type. And so by having her have a husband, that she's got that balance between work and the home life. Because if you take it, then it's like, oh, sure, she's just that powerful, driven woman, woman that just is her job, and that's all that defines her. So they give her that other side to make her more rounded. And apparently she's retired as well, so she's just consulting, but she's still got her connection. So it's, it's showing her that, that positive life balance as opposed to being defined by her career. Steve, it's the equalizer. Why do we care about any of that? <laughs> it's the equalizer. I mean, I get... Things have to be equalized. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you, you you won this round. 
Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's the equalizer in all things. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I just, my point stands. I felt, it felt a little bit contrived. I don't think we, I loved seeing Bill Pullman. I don't think we needed Bill Pullman to, to you know, for that role. I don't think we needed anybody in that role. I think it's totally okay, okay to make his friend a powerful, strong woman friend ex-boss. There you go. That bugged me. Now, it didn't <laughs> bug me until you started talking about it. Now it totally bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't want it to be equalized. No. Any, uh, anyone, you know, we've uh, Bill Pullman, Melissa Leo. I don't think there's anybody yeah. else that really stands out. Uh, cinematography, uh, Moro Fiore. Um, any, any, uh, you know, he, he did, he did a bunch of the the higher stuff. He did uh, work on um, uh, Avatar, uh, Training Day, The Kingdom. Uh, he's he's been around for a while. What do you think? Uh, was the cinematography something to uh, something to shout about? Well, I think that, you know, as you, you alluded to the sort of the, the, you know, the Sherlock Holmes style stuff where time sort of slows down and he's taking in everything, uh, you know, and I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen this. They're doing that Sherlock Holmes thing. But it was done in a, a style that, that it was, you know, effective in getting across what was going on in terms of him taking in all the information around him and, and processing that quickly. So that, I thought that was done effectively without feeling overly gimmicky but other than that you know it, it, like, it's an enjoyable film there's not a lot of memorable about it all right andy yeah i agree it, it felt just very again just kind of felt basic i mean there's nothing that stood out to me uh, cinematography wise uh i mean yeah the only thing that stood out i guess would be kind of a I, and i don't even i know if i'd say consistently but the production design i did enjoy quite a bit i loved that the the bar that he, or the little restaurant that he would always go to uh it felt i mean again it, it does feel kind of cliche but i just liked the look of it it felt like that 50s diner uh painting that is so oh, famous Nighthawks. Yeah. Hawks, yeah. It, yeah, it felt very much like that, um, you know, and just the design. I mean, even just like the the, the Russian uh, mafias where he goes and kills them the first time. I, you know, I, I liked the look of it. I, I thought that all of that worked. And again, nothing really stood out to me, but it uh, it you know it just it was there. It, it worked, I guess, in context of the film. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought yeah. so too. Though you you make you remind me of a of one of the other qualms I have with the film. Speaking of wearing things too much on his sleeve, it seemed like the film, and this is a, a problem with the script. Uh, it seemed so much like the film really um, hinged on some obvious and and rather archaic. Uh, cinematically archaic uh, racial stereotypes that uh, it just it, I'm just I, they're just sort of boring. Like not only are we sort of should we just be done with them culturally, but the the you know the characterization of you know the Russian mob and the yeah. Irish you know and the, I mean it's just <laughs> on and on and on uh, and it just I'm I'm I feel like I'm really done with the sort of bottom of the barrel. Uh, racism in these films like there are other reasons to make two teams hate each other that are more interesting and i think we have more films that are doing that even if it's a racial hate i think we are uh, you know there are other films that are doing that in not quite so obvious a way uh, and i just found myself kind of exhausted by it it was it, there was there was uh, quite a bit of that and uh, you know it's funny because i saw the drop uh, this weekend also and again, it was the exact same thing. I mean, I think that was, uh, I can't remember if that was New York or Boston, but it was the exact same thing where this bar had been uh, taken over by this, it was actually Chechens, but they referred to them as Russians or Chechnians or, you know, and there's, there was some funny bits about, you know, they're not Chechnians, they're Chechens and all this stuff. But it's, it's, it's almost like it's become the new cliche because even we had at the beginning of the year, we talked about Jack Ryan and, and yeah. Kenneth Branagh and his horrible Russian yeah. character. It's become uh, like the, the uh, a, a retreading of the same old tired cliche of the, the Russian bad guys, because I, I don't know why, but the, we're back to that. And well, yeah, we're back to that in the media. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's yeah. Putin now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It's real. Is, that, I mean, the se- it, is it, that the sequel, the Equalizer Two? Everybody's Putin. They've signed the sequel already. They signed the sequel. Yeah. They agreed to the sequel in February. Oh wow! 
Holy cow. Because, I, I, you know, honestly, because I was, I was talking with my brother about this. He's like, oh, so they set it up for a franchise. And I said, maybe. Mm. I mean, you could look at it as an origin story, but he's now he's going to be doing these. You know, you see that he's on Craigslist or whatever, interacting with people. I thought, but it, it doesn't. Honestly, it doesn't need it because it's told its story, and we know where what this character is going to be doing. You know, we've already seen him take out, you know, the entire Russian, you know, mafia. So, you know, that it, it gets back into that thing of action films where you have to save the world. The stakes become so high. And I thought this was, you know, it's slowly built to that, which was, which was nice. It was like, first, I'm going to just, I've got this friend and she's got trouble with this pimp and it's like okay so it's that oh well now you just took out the east coast you know part of the russian mafia so now he's got to things have to sort of accelerate to a larger scale okay fine i'll i'll go with that but to me i i don't need a sequel i don't need any more because you tidily told this story and that's all that needs to be done he doesn't need to save the world again well you know what it's gonna you know what's gonna happen when it becomes a sequel is it'll become the sequelizer (laughs) that was really bad (laughs) <laughs> well, so that, 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 that kicked in, didn't it, Andy? <laughs> I'm going oh, to need to insert something in there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, ben Crickets. Exactly. No, it's, it, it, but see, the, it, it, it's going to fall into the exact same problem that superhero movies do. I mean, this is essentially, I see it as Denzel's opportunity to play a superhero character of some sort, considering he's, I don't know how old now, but... I mean, he's not going to fit into uh, a superhero suit anytime soon. So this is, you know, his try at it, I guess, which is fine. But, I mean, it's the exact same thing. The next movie, now that it's going to be a franchise, is it's like, okay, it's going to be more of the same. We are we have no origin anymore. It's just him being a good guy saving people. And the, all of a sudden you have no interest in there. And it, I don't know. They'll you, fall into the struggle that so many superhero sequels fall into. You know what's funny about that, Andy, though? It wasn't really an origin story. Like you already said, it's it's like we didn't get the really the origin part. Like the best part of an origin story is where they learn their skills. Right, well, we saw just after the origin story. Right, we saw the the story in terms of the heroic journey. Like he's already, he's already now. He's he's he's. Uh, what's the point? Right after where he he's Terry is sort of essentially his uh, um, call to action. Um, and, right. and so we, we like uh, where are the skills and this is one of the this is my problem because I I recognize it's my problem because I was a fan of the TV show right. And in the TV show, you know, he had a a jaguar and he had the gear and the guns behind the closet. And like he like he was this guy with a a British accent. He was it was he was Edward Woodward. I mean, he was just he was a Brit and he walked around solving problems using these fantastic skills and gadgets. Right. And, you know, that's I, I get that. But we didn't get that sort of origin story in this film. We got a lot of montages of thinking and some really elegantly shot and architected action sequences and um, not really a very uh, compelling, um, you know, damsel in distress story. Yeah, not really at all. You know, another another point, a story point that we discussed that uh, that I had problems with was the the whole idea of the fire in in uh, Frankie's uh, or was it Frank, Ralphie's uh, mom's restaurant. Um, and I don't know if this was just again, I think it boils down to how the story was structured. Ralphie doesn't show up to work one day, and I, the way that the story had been setting up his character was that he is uh, has to do the security guard test, and so he so why doesn't he show up? Because he thinks he's going to fail or whatever, or he did fail and he's he's fallen by the wayside. And even when when Bob Denzel's character goes to visit him, the whole scene plays out feeling like Ralphie's guilty because he didn't really uh, follow through on what. Uh, Bob had him do, and then you find out this whole thing about these corrupt cops, and it, I don't know. To me, it's just like it, it couldn't figure out the how it was telling that story, and so it was very, I don't know. It just was. It was kind of a sloppy, sloppy section of the script. I felt. Yeah, I agree. I think that fi- I filed that under just sort of weird uh, subplot connectivity. Exactly. It was just some other other opportunity for him to throw in another chance to to make things equal yeah. again and make things yeah. right. All right. Do we have anything else to say on this point, or should we move? Should we move to the um, to why people really show up? 
for what did Tommy give us a song? No, I'm just saying oh, that's why people I was show say, up. That's, that's why people show up is for the singing, right? Well, this is a trick because Tommy's not here, <laughs> but we're gonna do it anyway. Uh, we're ooh, we're all gonna sing it. <laughs> Steve is gonna <laughs> sing it. <laughs> the sequelizer, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think we should move on. Do we, well, we already talked about dollars. Uh, did you do you have any other uh, money things, uh, Andy? I think it's uh, what do you know well, what it costs to make it? It's it's bound to make its money back, considering that it is doing so well. I see a production budget of fifty five million. Um, honestly, I have no idea how much uh, they spent on prints and advertising, but probably a hefty chunk. Um, just this weekend alone, though, uh, worldwide, it's made almost $53 million. So Yikes. It looks like, uh, yeah. Uh, it looks like they have uh, good reason to uh, to move forward with this equalizer. Oh, I wish you'd stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So uh, now I think we need to, to uh, rank it. All right. All right. So everybody head over to the flick chart. The flickchart.com. Flick chart, there's no the. It's just flickchart.com slash TNR Film Board. And you can see the uh, all the films that we have talked about on the very special Film Board episodes of The Next Reel. And uh, see, let's see how this one stacks up. Before we do, again, I just want to re- uh, recap my biggest complaints about this film. Number one, no Stuart Copeland, who wrote the fantastic theme song and some of the incidental music of the original TV show from The Police. Stuart Copeland. No Stuart Copeland. Number two, no dramatic credit silhouette. There was a very famous silhouette in the mm-hmm. uh, credit scene of the original Equalizer. No 80s, full stop. Uh, <laughs> no Edward Woodward, which you could also uh, say no British accent. That is a big hole in this film. And finally, once again, no Jaguar XJ6. That's all. Failed on so many counts. So many counts. The other stuff is just incidental. <laughs> you may you may begin. The Equalizer or the Born Legacy. The Born Legacy. Born Legacy. Absolutely. This is like a speed round. <laughs> oh, bad Russian versus bad Russian. The Equalizer or Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Ooh, Equalizer. that's a doozy. Equal, what? Really? Costner. Costner. Kevin Costner. Come on. He was like one of the better parts of that film. <laughs> oh, come on. Kenneth Branagh's Russian was so horrible. No, I would go with the Equalizer over Jack Ryan. I would. Yes. Seriously? Yeah. Well, then it that doesn't really matter. That one was really such a matter. cliche and shallow. So. It, they were yeah. both, no, they yeah. both cliche and shallow, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're both bad. Right. Oh. Okay. I'll, do, I'll pick Equalizer over Jack Ryan. Okay. Pete? I'm going to go buy, actually, the special edition. Yeah. It, can I buy, like, a gross of the special edition of Jack Ryan <laughs> just to feel better about you guys being wrong? Yeah. You go for it. I'm doing it. And I'm buying them all video on demand on <laughs> iTunes. Just going to buy it 70 times. Nice. Wow. All right. The Equalizer or Prometheus. Totally Prometheus. Prometheus. Yes. Yeah. Even with a little mushroom alien thing. <laughs> the Equalizer or Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World. Thor the Dark World, yeah. The Equalizer or 42. 42. 42. Yeah, 42. All right, that puts it number twenty out of twenty-six. Believe it or not, it's not the bottom. Wow, we—it's better than Jack Ryan, The Wolverine, The Monuments Men, Now You See Me, Oz the Great and Powerful, and You're Next. You know, I, I would agree. Fair. It is actually better yeah. than those movies. Yes. Yeah, I think I'd watch You're Next over The Equalizer, but I well, know everybody seems to hate yeah. that film. Yeah. No, I I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's just on the yeah. Now, you know, what we didn't talk about with The Equalizer is what's interesting is, I did not know this, the TV series was not based on any previous material. I mean, this it was actually an original concept story. It wasn't like, you know, Jack Reacher or something else yeah. based on a series of books. It was a wholly original property that then, you know, came into, you know, the, the film. And I thought that was interesting that to have something that has such a long-standing legacy. I mean, Pete being such a fan testifies to, you know, the creation of original content back then and the endurance of that when we're continually surrounded by things that are being, you know, created off of other properties. And I thought that was interesting that, you know, to go back to a TV series that 
I don't want to say it's forgettable, but it's not, you know, something that I think shows up a lot on great TV series from the 80s. Uh, but there was, you know, apparently something there that they felt worth worth mining for a film. What do you think that means? I mean, this is a sort of, let's just say it, it's sort of bottom of the barrel TV from the 80s. Just because I loved it doesn't mean it was like top top shelf <laughs> stuff. I, I get that. But yeah. uh, does, does that mean really, do you think that we've run out of creativity in Hollywood, and this is the bigger point, that I may actually get my Airwolf film. <laughs> well, and I guess that's the thing is, <laughs> there was nothing, you know, I hadn't seen the TV series, so I didn't miss anything. And I, you know, other than the, I don't even know what the character, if the equalizer of his name is Robert, whatever. Yeah, Bob McCall, Robert McCall. Okay. Yeah. You know, other than that, uh, yeah, wh- why not just make another, why not make a you know Denzel action vengeful action film he's done many before I, you know why tie it to that I, was did they feel that maybe you know maybe the that huge box office is people saying oh yeah i remember that show i want to see that movie you know yeah. but then being disappointed because he's not british and doesn't drive a jaguar but they should have known that you know from you know the poster these I guess. things are true but these things I, are I, true. Yeah. but it does go to speak to hollywood's need to really find anything that had an audience rather than trust something original. Right. Yeah. But here's, here's the thing. When something original does go big, then they're like, wow, what a surprise. It's like, no, it shouldn't be a surprise because every time something original is successful, they say, oh, wow, it was an unexpected hit. Like, you say that every single time. Like, yeah. we haven't learned a lesson that, yes, you can have successful original films. Exactly. Right. Like, like Gravity, which I think is number one on our list. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Gravity, Edge of Tomorrow, Prisoners, nope. all original. No, nope. Edge of Tomorrow is a book. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? No, nope, that's... Yeah. All right. Never mind. All right. Hey, uh, Steve Sarmento, thank you, sir. No, always a pleasure. Andy Nelson. Even if you guys are wrong. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've been thoroughly equalized. <laughs> Just wait till next month when we sequelize you. Oh. That's right. <laughs> Andy, uh, thank you, sir. I hope you feel better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why well, yada? I'm feeling great. <laughs> sure, I you are great. That's good. Move fast. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go do a jig. That'll be good. A little bit of clogging. <laughs> you got some clogging before you. Yeah, that's hey, right. uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, make sure you uh, head over to the website, find us in iTunes, subscribe for free, and you know, uh, leave us uh, kind uh, ratings and some stars if you've got them lying around. That helps other people find the show. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks for sitting through. Uh, thanks for sitting through the Equalizer, uh, because we would not have a show if it, if it weren't for you watching that <laughs> movie. <laughs> I gotta go to bed. Hey there, Chad Stoops here. Great to be with the group again. Kind of. Love this movie, The Equalizer. It was crisp, clean, precise. It was calculated. It was efficient, simple, to the point, succinct, like a baby's bottom. It was just that clean. It was like the character. It was like Denzel Washington's character. It was incredible. I loved watching it. It was fun. It, it wasn't overcomplicated. Um, love the Russian Kevin Spacey. How could you not like him? And it was um, it was great. It had a purpose. I liked the, the villain. Um, can't think of his name right now. But uh, it's great that they gave a reason for his background and his evilness. Um, but how can you not like this movie? How can you not like a movie about a killer? But, you know, like, a, how can you not like a movie using a person like Denzel Washington he's like a killer who cares he's a K a KWC these are the roles Denzel Washington was made to play because he brings out the humanity in the character that most actors don't uh, or won't or can't do he makes us believe that there is more to 
um, the character than just what it could have been. It could have been just about a guy who gets revenge, but instead it's about a guy who plays fair, like all the way down to, you know, to the very, very, you know, to the last minute before he has to kill someone. This made me hope for a sequel for it. I give it 12 thumbs up. 12. Put a toe in there for me. And I thought it was beautiful that they put Lone Star in it. Bill Pullman. He was great. I haven't seen him forever. Not since he was the fake president in Independence Day. I was hoping he'd say something like that. Like, this is our Independence Day. Wait, let me try it again. This is our Independence Day. Something like that. I can't do a fake president like he does. He's the best in the business. I like the core of the movie, body, mind, and spirit. I thought that was really, that was really great, them using that. One of my favorite parts of the movie is when the uh, Kevin Spacey, Russian Kevin Spacey, I can't think of his name, comes to go visit um, Denzel. And Denzel says, after he's leaving, he goes, well, we'll keep in contact. He goes, well, don't you have a card? Isn't that what policemen do? I mean, isn't that what you came to see me for? To leave a card and then come back when I get more information? When you get more information? Or if, I just thought that was so great. Um, it just, he made everything so simple. You know, it was like a chess game. He played it like a chess game. You watched the movie like a chess game. You saw Denzel thinking about it. Actually, went into his brain. I love that. We went right into his brain. And um, just some amazing scenes. I know you guys will elaborate more. I wish I had more time, but uh, I give it all the thumbs up in the world. I love the actress in it. Can't think of her name. Amazing job. Everybody did a great, great job. Very, very great. Very well directed. And uh, at the end of the movie, just so you know, at the very end of the movie, if you stay all the way through the credits, there's no Easter egg, but there is a part where you can actually see them interview Denzel Washington. You can see the making of the movie a little bit, at least in our theater. So... I'd go see it. Recommend it. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 